proof that anyone can have a sports show. Wow. <laughs> Electric booyah base right from Jump Street. Adam Crowley. What's up, players? On ESPN Pittsburgh. The six-hour, two-person tag team broadcasting marathon for Adam Crowley and Tim Benz continues here now on ESPN Pittsburgh. We haven't seen this long of tag-teaming action since Kiara Mia's last film. Thanks for finding us to make the switch over from 105.9 The X. Uh, we just got done playing an interview on The X and here on 970 with Ramon Foster about the anthem policy and this moving on pro football talk at... Roughly the same time. Uh, this is, I think, written by Mike Florio. I can't tell. That might just be a group effort there. There's no byline on it. But anyway, with Anthem Policy 1.0 scrapped and Anthem Policy 2.0 tabled, the NFL, with the input of the NFL Players Association, is attempting to craft the Anthem Policy 3.0. The two parties issued a joint statement after a Friday meeting aimed at resolving the situation. Quote, a short time ago, the NFL and the NFLPA concluded a constructive meeting regarding the anthem policy and the very serious social justice issues that have been the basis of some of the player protests. We are encouraged by the discussions and plan to continue our conversations. Yeah, well, Lev Bell also said that things were looking good at the Pro Bowl, so we know how that turned out. Uh, as NFL or Pro Football Talk goes on to say, uh, right along those lines, it all sounds very good, but the chances of finding a permanent solution remain slim. Absent anything other than an agreement by the union that all players will stand for the anthem and absent a commitment by all players not to defy the compromise, the controversy will linger for as long as politicians aim to politicize the issue can score points with their base, creating a convenient distraction or both. Uh, why do they have to be so, I don't know, split down the middle on that. What do you mean politician? They just mean Trump. Just say it. You just mean Trump. As long as politicians aim to politicizing the issue, you mean the president. And like I talked about earlier when this came up and I got a nasty email at the Trib today because of my views on the policy, which is basically the players and the league. I think what might happen here is the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And I think that might bring them together here. I, I think they might all realize that this isn't as important to them as continuing to have football be the most important sport in America. And there are plenty of reasons, aside from the anthem, as to why football may not have the popularity that it used to. For me personally, is I just don't recognize the game that much anymore. They've taken defense out of it. They've taken hitting out of it. I'm confused by the rules. That stuff bothers me about football more than anything else. The anthem stuff, honestly, I really don't care about. Uh, the length of games, the atmosphere at the stadium, the frequency and ability with which people enjoy watching on television more than going to the games themselves, the 24-7 of football. That's another big one for me, too. I find myself falling into this trap when it comes to how I consume football as well. It's that there's so much conversation, there's so much dialogue from Monday until Thursday that I don't feel like the Thursday night game is special at all. I don't even feel like by the time you get to Friday, if your team isn't playing on Thursday, Sundays matter as much anymore. It's almost like Sundays. It's almost like game days have become secondary to the hype of the sport. 
and, and that's a problem. I don't know how you put that genie back in the bottle. Roger Goodell is powerful, but he can't make Twitter go away. And, and I feel that's kind of where we are. He wants all the promotion and all the things that come with the partnership that he has with ESPN and the partnerships that he has with CBS and NBC. But when those outlets have to fill programming on their networks, when those outlets have to fill pages in their web space, they're going to write and push out product about football so much. It, all, it doesn't just... The promotion of the games almost backfires, is what I'm trying to say. There's so much attention being paid to it before you get to Sunday. It's almost like, okay, the game now is an afterthought. Like the tweets back and forth between the players, it's like that in the NBA too. That's why a lot of people who don't live in NBA cities don't pay all that much attention to the NBA until the playoffs roll around. Because they feel like you get it so much, the games themselves the least important aspect until the ball is thrown up in the postseason and then suddenly it matters. Football is getting dangerously close to that. 412-922-2874 if you agree or disagree. But to my earlier point, the, the one commonality between the way Trump looks at the anthem thing and the way that the players and the owners should be looking at the anthem thing, I don't know if they are yet, but there's so much more out there that's important in both regards for both groups that the anthem thing has become this bizarre lightning rod to diffuse everything else. It's like all things extraneous, all things external for the National Football League are incumbent on what happens with the anthem policy. You know, it used to be headshots. It used to be domestic abuse. It used to be pot. Well, now it's the anthem thing. And, and I've long said that stuff like that, fines, discipline, steroids, marijuana, the deflate gate stuff that went on before, all that extraneous stuff were things that were going to be put on the negotiating table that eventually the National Football League was going to allow the players to make as big of a deal as humanly possible so they could give them all that in whatever form they wanted so they could keep as big of a slice of pie as possible when it came to the raw dollars and cents. I still think that's going to happen. Here's the problem. They can't wait until 2020 on this anthem thing. Because if players are going to kneel for the sake of kneeling, just to make a point, then it's going to backfire, and then Trump is going to use that to defuse his problems. And that's what I keep talking about. That's the great irony here. The anthem thing is not important. It just isn't. I'm sorry. For everything else that's going on in the world, everything else that's been going on around this administration, it's so unimportant. Whether... Justin Hunter or Pac-Man Jones or Lamar Jackson kneel or stand during the anthem isn't going to affect us one iota as a country eight seconds after Home of the Brave ends. Eight seconds after the speakers play the loud note, last note and it's done echoing, it doesn't matter. What matters is, are we all speaking Russian in 15 months? Like, that's what I'm worried about. But the good thing for Trump is, it's symbolism. And, and it's hard to understand what Trump did right or what Trump did wrong, what he was allowed to do and what he wasn't allowed to do in the Russia stuff. You know, there's a lot of other people out there in America that don't know where Montenegro is either, and he can say that Montenegro is going to attack. Was that what we said, Montenegro? Right? Was it them? I think it was them, right? They're going to attack Russia. Look out. They're, they're, they're a very aggressive people. 
or Moldavia. I don't remember who it was. Moldavia? Who was it? But, you know, <laughs> barring that happen, he doesn't know. He doesn't know the country either. You know, it's like Seth Meyers said, I can't find it on a map either, but I'm not the one that's saying they're going to invade Russia. So all this other stuff that he gets, the Stormy Daniels and Michael Cohen and the FBI investigation, all this other stuff. The Supreme Court, who's going to get nominated, how he's going to get somebody on, uh, whatever comes up about his nominee, all this stuff that's so much more important, like real important stuff. He's just, the moment he feels backed into a corner, uh-oh, somebody in the Colts-Titans game took a knee. And Mike Pence is going to be flown back out there, storm out and protest again, and we're back at square one. And the NFL is going to be the leveraging point for all of this. And so when I say the enemy of my enemy is my friend, even though the players and the owners and the commissioner, they can't come together on anything, they got to come together on this, otherwise they're the ones that are being co-opted. And they're the ones that are going to wind up uh, allowing Trump to get away with stuff like this uh, for something that just does not matter. And you can say I'm being anti-patriotic. You can say I'm being mean to the vets or whatever. You, you could twist my message all you want, but I'm talking about in terms of importance of what really affects us. He's talking about this stuff so we don't have to talk about anything else because it's easier. I, I, I don't know too much about who's going to get confirmed to the Supreme Court, what they did in the past, what their rulings are going to be, how they feel on Roe v. Wade. All this stuff is complicated to the average Joe. What's easy to me, you stand for the anthem. It's simple. It's what you've been taught since you were five. So if the rules change, it's like, uh-oh, this is a big deal. And it's tangible. It's low-hanging fruit. That's all. And the players, the owners, so long as they keep fighting about this themselves, they're actually just allowing Trump to look good. 412-922-2874. And, and it's bad for the players, too, because I think people... The one thing that maybe Trump is right about when it comes to this, or folks are on the side of, you got to stand, you can't kneel. The one thing that they do have a point on is the players themselves, have they really maintained focus as to why they're kneeling or are they just kneeling because now they're being told to stand? And I think, unfortunately, we've gone way too far into column B. And I think that was proven by what happened here in Pittsburgh. I, I will never let this go. I will keep coming back to this point. You didn't hear a peep from anybody outside of Pittsburgh, any NFL player, I didn't see a single tweet, reference, Instagram post, quote, anything from an NFL player outside of Pittsburgh about the Antoine Rose situation, which was as in the wheelhouse of the topic as to why Colin Kaepernick kneeled in the first place and no one paid attention to it, not a soul. Even here in Pittsburgh, the one tweet I saw was from Antonio Brown, and it was just, sad day in Pittsburgh, R.I.P. Antoine Rose. That was it. That's all you got. And from my vantage point, if we're going to make this big of a deal about this topic, as an NFL player, if you're someone who's going to kneel on Sunday on week one and you didn't post something about that, then you're negligent. Then you're inconsistent. If you're on a national stage like that, knowing what you're going to do to further the rancor 
between the two sides in this country, if you're putting that responsibility on your shoulders to be that socio-conscious, then you've got to say something about what happened with Antoine Rose in Pittsburgh. You're not allowed to be ignorant of that. You're not allowed to be blind to that. You're not allowed to not know that happened in Pittsburgh just because you live in Houston. You're not allowed. We come back, we'll talk to Joe Rudder about what happened today on the field here at training camp. He's the beat writer for the Trib. He was at practice today. That's coming up next. Tim Benz in for Adam, then rejoining Adam at 7 o'clock here on ESPN Pittsburgh. It's the Adam Crowley Show. This is the kind of thing that just tickles my balls. On ESPN Pittsburgh and the iHeartRadio app. Back at Steelers training camp, St. Vincent College in Latrobe. Tim Benz with you. Pleased to be joined right now by Joe Rudder from the Trib. He is our football beat writer. covers the Pittsburgh Steelers. And, uh, Joe, I was just looking through our Twitter feed here. Hell of a shot by our own Chaz Pala of the catch by Antonio Brown, wasn't it? Yes, it was. In fact, he was farther away from the play than some photographers. I was standing near midfield who got the picture. Chaz, being the pro that he is, better shot than anybody. You know, um, it wasn't quite Odell Beckham because he caught it with his whole hand, but yeah. it was that. That's as good of an AB catch as I've seen, and I've seen every one of them. But that one was brilliant. Yeah, it was good. And then Cody Sensabaugh, who was beaten on the play, I guess followed him back walked around the field to the offensive side and got in his ear and said, in the regular season, they wouldn't have let you catch that pass. And A.B. just smiled at him like, okay, whatever. In the regular season, I would hope that Cody Sensabaugh wouldn't be playing. That's true. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, on the other side, the very next throw, that came from Landry Jones. Mason Rudolph hit Cody, excuse me, hit um, James Washington down the sideline. And that was probably the best highlight we've seen from Mason Rudolph so far, is it not? And actually, that yeah. one hung up for a while. He just beat Cam Sutton so badly yeah. that he had time to run under it and wait for it, actually. Yeah, when, he, when it came out of his hand and was in the air, I thought, oh, this, is, this could go anywhere. And, but he put it right on the money. And I'm surprised Cam Sutton, for all that you know, everybody's talked about him, that he was so far off the play. Maybe he was underestimating James Washington, but he just flew right past him and settled in under the catch and kept going. Now, I should feel good about the fact that the wide receivers put on a show, or I should feel bad that it happened against the Steelers' secondary? Um, I think the former. I, I think that, you know, feel good about the receivers because you want to see what James Washington can do. You know, you want to see what Juju can do here with, um, you know, you know you're not going to have Martavis Bryant this year, so somebody has to go in and at least keep the defenses honest to keep the second and third, or second and double team, or double and triple teams, sorry, off of Antonio Brown. So, yeah, you know, that was encouraging to see. I don't know if it's just because there are lesser offensive linemen and the front seven are able to get into the pocket more easily, but it feels to me like Dobbs and Rudolph are struggling when it comes to pocket sense and getting rid of the ball, whereas it feels like Roethlisberger and Jones are always having time to find at least somebody. Yeah, it, it is, and, and it, it could be a product of who they're, you know, Dobbs. Who's blocking and, for them. Yeah, who Dobbs and um, you know, Rudolph are working with. Because, you know, Landry got a lot of first-team reps today because Ben usually scales it back on the second day. He took the middle session off, and Landry was running the first-team offense, and he looked, you know, he looked comfortable in there with the first team. Joe Rudder with us from the trip. Tim Benz with you in for the 6 o'clock hour for Adam Crowley. Adam and I will be joined together at 7 o'clock at Geo's down Route 30 here. You were part of the Kevin Colbert scrum today, and that's been a big talking point for us regarding the um, comments that he made about Mike Tomlin, specifically the fervent defense that he had of how Tomlin is when it comes to handling the players 
discipline and their interactions off the field. I get why Colbert said what he did. It was prudent to do. He had to stand up for his coach. He looked bad after the James Harrison comments. I just don't know if every Steelers fan out there wanted to hear that message. I think that a lot of Steelers fans would have preferred to hear, yeah, he needs to be tougher on these guys. We all do. Yeah, well, you're not going to get that really from Kevin Colbert. Um, You're not going to get that publicly. And he was very passionate about today, the way he felt, and the saying that people don't see the the behind-the-things stuff he does with these players, how he helps them with their personal lives, how he goes far beyond the normal coaching duties that uh, you know he's concerned about these players as people other than players and um, you know we don't see that so we don't know but you know he was very passionate about that and uh, indicated that you know Mike Tomlin does not have an issue with discipline on the team doesn't run too loose of a ship Um, you know and he said all these things everybody talks about he kind of made fun of the word team turmoil uh, he, yeah, called it no, yeah, he called it nonsense, but said instead it had absolutely nothing to do with why they lost to Jeff. Okay, but like for instance, Le'Veon Bell is one of Mike Tomlin's favorite players of all time. I'm sure he's helped him with his personal life. Would that get him the week leading up to the Jacksonville playoff game where he missed practice and whatnot? Yeah, it, it didn't get him anything. And, yeah, you know that that's the other side that you know that's why fans are upset because of they see things like that and they hear you know these reports and. They think uh, the inmates are running the asylum. Um, Bob know. McNair. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, Kevin, Kevin Colbert was adamant today that that is not the case. Do you believe him? I have no reason not to. I mean, he's always been a straightforward type of guy. Uh, I mean, I know he has to say those things. But the, the fact he came out almost unsolicited and delivered that message was, uh, you know, he, he felt very strongly about it. Like, I feel like they've gotten themselves in such a situation where, where it's so predominant with the team that they feel like saying we've got to be better when it comes to this stuff and reining it in isn't enough because they know it's not going to happen. And if they say it, they know that the players aren't going to follow through and then they're going to have to do something about it. They don't want to do anything about it. So they're almost embracing the notion of, Either it's fake news on our part or just let them be who they are because they're 13-3. and three. But, you know, letting them be who they are in terms of, like you said, having the asylum be run by the inmates, well, that hurt them against the Chicago Bears. That hurt them yeah. against the Jacksonville Jaguars. You know, they could be 13-3 and three, or, in the case of the playoffs, 13-4. and four. I think you can pin, by their own admission, Marquise Pounceys after the Jacksonville game and the whole team after the Chicago game, you can directly pin two of their four losses on stuff that was extraneous to football. Yeah, Chicago, they, they've all admitted, even Mike Tomlin admitted, that was an unusual circumstance, that they just weren't focused because of the whole stuff that happened the night before with the team meeting and talking about Trump's comments and that that carried over to the next day. Um, but they, they weren't saying that about Jacksonville. And you know Kevin Colbert kind of explained that away as the things that players like David DeCastro uh, Ramon Foster were saying were done out of frustration and they were looking to pin it on something other than fessing up that yeah, they, they got well, thoroughly Yeah, outplayed. I read that in, in your piece on the Trib and I, I disagree with Kevin saying that. Like, who was who he to, in the name of explaining away this controversy to, I don't know, refute what one guy says was his honest opinion? I, 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 took, yeah. I took umbrage with that a little bit. Especially, you know, we're just 72 hours away from Pouncey saying we have to stop looking by people, which he said when he reported. You know, and that was, that was yeah. in the wake of a question about yeah. the Jacksonville game. So, I mean, I, I think there is more validity to it. I understand why Kevin did everything he did. He's trying to defuse a story. 
and this is one of the rare opportunities where he puts himself out there to do so. I just got the impression that in an effort to be adamant, he might have gone too far in uh, enabling the behavior. How about that? Yeah, that's you know that's always a possibility, and you know the beauty of it is we we'll have 16 weeks to see whether he's correct or not. What's up with Morgan Burnett already not practicing? Uh, they said a, a, a hamstring tightness. Um, Mike Tomlin said they were just being overly cautious. So it seems like, you know, he should be back out there tomorrow or the next day. Uh, you know, better. It's something to watch because injuries are a concern for him. Yeah. Part of his it, issue in Green Bay as he got along in years. Yeah, exactly. And, you, you know, they're starting padded practice tomorrow. Maybe they want him ready for that. Maybe they didn't see the benefit in having him run out here in a glorified minicamp uh, workout. So, you know, tomorrow, and tomorrow's the day that these injuries will probably start piling up. James Conner got dinged up pretty good last year in the first tackling drill, and yep. a couple other guys went down. So, Well, here we are talking about how important it is for them to tackle and how many missed tackles they had last year. 14 different players have come out and said, oh, we're the 31st in the league in tackling last year. That's obviously a point that's been hammered in their heads by the coaching staff. So along those lines, they're going to work on it, but then you see – I don't know, these were non-contact injuries, but already San Diego, San Diego's gone from the AFC West favorite to the probably going to finish last again. You know, Hunter Henry and Verrett, you know, Verrett's out yeah. for the whole year now. What, you play like five snaps since he went to San Diego? This is crazy. So uh, I just hope no one of value goes down in any of these efforts to make them better tacklers. Yeah, and they really, I mean, their tackling that they do out here, which is not what you know fans probably want to hear, is limited because you only have so many days you can put on pads. You can only tackle so much, and there is a risk when you don't tackle as much that I think guys get hurt. I think when they used to tackle every day, they were conditioned for it, and you had less injuries. But now because of these rules with the head and all that, um, you're, you're seeing, I think, with limited tackling, more injuries occurring. Looked like the quarterbacks were picking on Edmonds since he got some playing time with Burnett out, especially in the goal line drill. Yeah, they, with the seven shots, he gave up at least two catches. I'm not sure if they both were touchdowns or not. But, yeah, they, they picked on him pretty good. And, you know, Mike Tomlin said with Burnett sitting out, good chance to throw him in there and see what he could do. But he wasn't, uh, you know, as he said, not painting a picture either way based on what he did out there. Did you hear Sean Davis's quote about how he's going to be good as a free safety because he played baseball? I did not hear that. <laughs> was he a center fielder? Yeah, he's a center fielder. So his theory is, you know, taking the proverbial center fielder as opposed to being a real center fielder, uh, he's going to be good at reading and reacting because he was good at reading and reacting to the ball in center field, so a quarterback can't look him off. But as somebody <laughs> pointed out to him, the bat didn't look the other way and then swing in the opposite direction. That's true. And he dismissed it. He said, no, 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 I, I know how to read, so I, I can read just like I did in baseball. You know what's funny to me is he, he said that Butler didn't even bring up the topic of him being a free safety really in minicamp. Uh, but I remember him talking about it, um, or at least discussing it openly, like he knew it was going to be his gig. He said in minicamp they just did right side, left side. Yeah. But even Butler back then said that free safety job is probably going to be his to start. Yeah, I, I would think that he knew. I don't think he came in here wondering where he's going to play. They, I think they're pretty uh, uh, transparent to these guys about what, what they expect out of him. So I think he knew it out there. Uh, well, you know, before he stepped out there, that he was going to be in the free safety spot. And you know, going back to that logic too, I wonder is that the, are they going to sign Starling Morte next year to play uh, free safety if Sean Davis doesn't work out? Definitely yeah. wouldn't be Gregory Polanco. No, it would not, because Gregory Polanco definitely would run to the wrong spot in the defense. We yeah. know that. Uh, anything else I missed from uh, Colbert or from camp today? Any other nuggets? Uh, the only thing you know, Colbert said. Well, he was asked about the inside linebacker. 
um, why they didn't pursue more of them or somebody else. And they said just because we haven't doesn't mean we won't. So maybe they're looking to, uh, you know, last when the cutdowns are, if they think somebody's better than what they have here or what they see over the four preseason games. And then he also talked about Le'Veon Bell expecting that he'll come in in good shape. He won't be in football shape. And he did, again, insist that because he wasn't here last year, it did hurt him in the season. He acknowledged that, yes, while he was a pro bowler, he could have been a better pro bowler had he been in training camp. Joe Rudder from the Trib. Read his work there daily up here at training camp. You can read mine as well at Breakfast with Ben's at Trib Live. We'll be back here on ESPN Pittsburgh with Merrill Hodge. You know him from DVE, ESPN, and, of course, a former Pittsburgh Steeler fullback. That's next here on ESPN Pittsburgh. This is the Adam Crowley Show. I mean, I cannot believe the kind of nonsense that I am hearing right now. On ESPN Pittsburgh, 970 AM and 106.3 FM. The marathon of broadcasting continues for me, Tim Benz, and Adam Crowley here in Latrobe. Uh, I'm jumping out as we speak from the press box overlooking St. Vincent College football field where the Steelers are practicing earlier, and I'm heading up Route 30 to Geo's. That's where Adam is standing by, and we're going to be broadcasting from 7 till 9 for our one of many shows that we do in up and down all the restaurants and bars here in Latrobe throughout the course of Steelers training camp. Plenty more Steelers talk to come there, and to lead you into that, here's Merrill Hodge, former Steeler. And, of course, now member of the ESPN broadcast crew. Uh, you can check him out uh, there. It's also on DVE quite a bit as the guys, uh, this is Dale Lolly, I believe, and Adam speaking with Merrill earlier today as we set you up for 7 to 9 from Geo's. Dale Lolly <laughs> and Adam Crowley, Merrill Hodge should be joining us shortly on Steelers Nation Radio. Uh, Dale, why don't we take a short break so we're ready to go uh, if and when we do hear from Merrill Hodge. Uh, actually, is. why don't we just not take a break? Why don't we just why don't we just pull Merrill Hodge up on the air right now? How you doing, Merrill? Uh, we are, we are live. live. This is this is you can't get any better than this. We are live radio. <laughs> not that you've ever done this before. Yeah, that's the magic of radio right there. Uh, Merrill, how you doing? Thanks for coming on. Absolutely fantastic. Now that I'm sitting down and looking at the field. This is an easy job up here, right? It is. It's an easy job up here. We got practice coming. You can hang out here the rest of the day if you it, want. You guys got a little air conditioning? Are you kidding yeah, me? Yeah, absolutely. Dry, dry roof over our head. Merrill, I was talking earlier. I said one of my uh, – I, I started covering the team in 93, and they still had photo, oh, yeah. they still had photo day. That was yeah. the last photo day. You killed photo day. Do you remember why you killed photo day in 93? No. no. Barry was holding out. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Enough said. Yeah. And you, you ripped him a new one. You ripped him yeah. a new one. Um, I forget conce- exactly what I said conceptually. Um, Basically, I think, he needed to be there. Right. I mean, if you looked at the history and how – listen, I came in here in 87, in 88, what happened? Mike Merriweather held decides out. he's yeah. going to hold out. And what Mike Merriweather do all year? Held out. Now, he obviously stood his ground, but so did the Steelers. And my point was, uh, you just don't, you're not going to get anything done in this organization by sitting out. And you just signed a deal. I think he still had two, uh, at least two, which made it absolutely just, re- I mean, the, the con- I mean, his thought process, whoever gave him the counsel, whether he had counsel or not, was like, <laughs> it was bad. You yeah. know, you're not going to go anywhere with that. And it's becoming a problem. It was a problem with our team. You know, I mean, you know, if you really wanted to deal or redo it, 
come here and prove that you want right. to redo right. it. And you should have thought of that before and structured your deal so <laughs> that you wouldn't be in this situation, you know. So, yeah, I do remember that. He created a little controversy. Uh, <laughs> well, when he came into camp, I addressed it with him. I talked to him about, you know, what I, what my position was, and he told me what his position was, and then we went to play. Let's transition to now with Le'Veon Bell and what's going on with him. Some suggest maybe he's getting bad advice from his agent. Uh, I think you got to try to get every penny that you can. Uh, he is gambling on himself, certainly uh, performing this year and being able to stay healthy. Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts on all that? Well, see, I only I use, I, and all I can do is I use my experience and, and my perspective on on stuff. Um, if you're gonna, I mean, obviously, what the, the the tag? There's a lot of money there. I mean, that's obviously a lot of money. Now, personally, I'd come, I'd be in, you know, I'd come in, and I'd be ready because I I understood, um, and I don't care how great a player is. You know, I watched Rod Woodson hold out one year, and and Rod Woodson was to me the best athlete I ever played with. Okay, he holds out, and then I think he came in a week before camp uh, was done to get ready. And I think I'm almost believe San Francisco was coming into town to play, so it was going to be him and Jerry Rice. And um, just Rod was not the same because there's a I say that training camp seasons you to get ready for the season. Then the season you seasons you for as you move on into the playoffs. I mean, there's a process in that. You got to prepare. That's just a lot of things. There's no great how great athlete you are. Um, I mean, last last year, Le'Veon Bell, there was no timing. You could sense that, and you watched it. You could study it for weeks, and that's going to be a problem if he doesn't come in. I don't care how great a player he is. You just you just don't you just don't at this level. You just don't roll up off the street, and people. Even if you are training, if if you are working out, you're not working out with your buddies. You know, you're not working out with your team. You don't have the same timing and rhythm when you're somewhere else and they're practicing. You do that for a month together. It's a big difference, you know. When you just do it for three days, getting ready for opening day, that's that's not. That's just not enough. So, I mean, I'd come in, or um, you know, and I don't know what the deals have been you know on both sides you know i don't know what he's turned down or what's been offered either so i'm not going to speculate on that um i just think you got to be careful sometimes when uh you get a little greedy you know um so and i'm sure that he looks at todd Gurley right now and he's like you know i'm i'm deserving of that you know he's kind of set a standard now i you know i don't know if they can get a deal done based on that but if i was doing uh the tag i'd not sign and come in because they're not going to work. I mean, he's not going to play in games. No, he was not. I mean, he got. I think the last time he was here, he got three or five, three yeah. to five carries. There's, in three there's, and there's no need for that, yeah. so you know that. But I just the value to be here, and the chemistry and the seasoning that goes on. I mean, that's just if you want to produce the very best, it's the best way to get yourself where you're trying to go. You know, so I'd be here. I'd show up and come here and play and, and get ready. But you know, that's. You know, even if I had his skill set, because I didn't have his skill set, you know. <laughs> so you always can, I always keep that in perspective too. I just, I just think there's, it always looks better for you when you, you have much more leverage. People, it's much easier to defend you when you're here. Yeah, yeah. it's hard to defend you when you're when you're not here. So, 
And, we, and we've seen that over the years, and the Steelers just they won't negotiate until somebody comes into camp, and although they can't negotiate now. So this is a different yeah, situation. Is, that yeah, the franchise tag has changed everything. Yeah, because I, I, I forget the exact date, but once that's done July now. July 16th, yeah. So they can't even – and I, I, you can help me with this because I don't follow it all that closely. But So they're, they could not strike a deal. They can't talk again now until after the, the season's, season's over. Yeah. Okay. So – and, and you know what? And I think that's smart too, because that doesn't help a player and doesn't help an organization if that's going on throughout the year. I think that's a good rule because it just eliminates even the possibility of it. You know it, I know it. So uh, the media can't be talking. You know, I can't say week eight. Well, we got a deal. We turned it down. That's over. So well, I think I think that all ended too in in '93 when Adrian Cooper talked about his con. He said this, this, at the end of the season after after you guys got knocked out against Kansas City, right. and he talked about how his contract being a, a, going to be a free agent at the end of the year weighed on him all season long. Mm-hmm. And, you know, look, if, no, if we're not going to talk about this stuff, then know that we're not going to talk about it, and then you don't have to worry about it. Yeah, so There's no sense in worrying about Adrian it. Cooper, I told him, I said, like, Coop, listen, you want to get, you want to get a big deal? I mean, don't hold out. I'm like, I talked to him the night before we, got, we were reporting. I was like, just I'm telling you, don't hold out, because if you won't hold out, because remember Kevin Green, Eric Green, was going back and forth, yeah. and that was becoming disgruntled. He was – I mean, Coop may not have been quite the pass catcher. He the, was a talented – But he yeah. was – listen, he was a beast as a blocker. And he – if you had – if he had stayed here and harnessed and worked on his weaknesses, running routes and catching the ball, his I just believe his career would have been much different had he stayed here. But he let that – he was disgruntled when he walked. We held out, then he comes in, now he's mad. <laughs> Well, when you're mad, and to your point, now the contract's talked about all year. That's weighing on your head. Because in the locker room, it was always – on the practice, practice field, it was always being talked about. When you go in the locker room, and then players start, you know, picking sides, and it's just – it's not a good thing. It turns your, your locker room, becomes disgruntled, and that becomes a focus over playing well and winning and playing together as a team. So, you know, I like it from that perspective. It really – it doesn't mean completely eliminates it, but it does eliminate the media stirring it up because it doesn't yeah. matter. And well, you know, you know, if they, if they if they say, "Hey, we we're not going to talk about this with you. We're not going to talk about an extension after the season starts." Well, there's no reason to, to concern yourself with it. Then you're not thinking about it all the time. You're right. not calling your agent. Hey, what's going on? Have, they, have you had any talks? Or and nobody like can that? create spark yeah. that either because you're like, nothing can be done. Even if so, there's no conversation. It's a it, it's a, a moot point. Um, but It'll be interesting when the season is over, you know, if um, and how he plays. Because I understand the business side of it, too. I think Le'Veon's had one complete year. Is that one full year, which is last year? Yeah, and yeah. He, I, the year before in the regular season he did, but then he got hurt against the Patriots in the AFC Championship game. So, that, yeah, right. it's only been one. Right, and, that, and this is his fifth or sixth. This will be his sixth year, I believe. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, I mean, but, he, but he's, when he's on the field, he's as productive as anybody – that's oh, ever played the game. I mean, 127 yards of total offense per game. You know that he averages. That's the, the highest in NFL history. He's a wicked weapon. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Um, but you know, I, I will tell you this. There's this was great about team sports and gets. Um, I think obviously it gets diluted or gets lost in. People will see what he does in this offense. Let's say he doesn't play here next year. And they're just going to say, well, he'll just go do this over here in Cincinnati, or he just does this over in Tampa. Well, well time out. Is the quarterback <laughs> the same? 
Is your wide receivers the same? Is your line the same? Is your offensive <laughs> line the same? And quite honestly, is your offensive philosophy the same? Right, right. Okay. All of those things matter, you know, just because you go from one. I know everybody always says, oh, he'll be great if he goes to Minnesota, or he'll be great if he goes, or he, let's put it this way, he's always going to be great because he's just got a, a unique talent. But does he fit in, you know, and do they, it's like Jerome, how do they it's work? It's like Jerome Bettis. When, when Jerome Bettis was with the Rams, they were phasing him out, and, and he, his last couple of years, he wasn't as effective as he was when he came to the Steelers. They had that. They had a, a you know an offensive line in place that was that was good, yeah. and you know he he was able to take over football games. And because, they're all, and they, their philosophy with the Rams yeah. is just different. Yeah. You know they they just. I mean, you played in Ron Earhart's system. That's you know it was it was right. built now, for running backs. Right, and it was built for guys like Jerome. That's exactly the type of offense. And that's another part of the the luck of the draw in a career. Do you fall into a philosophy that fits you? Um, that is. Because playing all the philosophies I did, you know, obviously Chuck's fit, the trapping game fit, um, um, and the way they used me. Well, the Ron Earhart's really didn't fit me because um, I just uh, – I mean, he wouldn't let me play running back. He kept wanting me to be a fullback. And in that offense, that ain't nothing more than a glorified guard, <laughs> period. I yeah, mean, a glorified right. guard. I right. mean, which I was like, now listen, we – because Ron Earhart and I used to – listen, loved Ron Earhart. We, we had our battles. Um but I, love, I think he was a fabulous coach. He was one of the best I was ever around. But we'd sit there and argue. I'd go, now listen, how can your fullback, which is me, be your third down back? Yet you can't find a way to get me the ball. I'm like, you're off. You're that limited offensively. Your mind is that limited because we'd go because he would be like, <laughs> he'd be always busting my chops on stuff. And I was like, well, I'm just gonna tell you, Ron. Here's what you're doing. I got. I can bring more of the offense you're failing to do. So don't get on me. I go, I don't know another fullback you want to bring in, which was Maurice Carthon, quite honestly. <laughs> so he wanted to cut me and bring Maurice Carthon in. And well, Maurice Carthon was a fabulous blocker. Not a receiver. He didn't, not a very good runner at all. But he did. He fit the, the perfect system. Or fit, fit his system. But I'm like, I'm your third down back, too. I go, that doesn't make no sense. You trust I mean, me to catch the ball. You trust me to do all those things. But Pass block around. But on first and second down, I'm a non-factor. So we had – it's actually just before I went to Chicago, he pulled me into the office, and he's like, hey, listen, um, well, I'll, I'll back up. We played the Patriots. Uh, Barry had left. He got hurt. And um, I had about 160 total yard, 100 ground, and two two touchdowns anyway in the passing game. And Bill Parcells came across the field, and he said, hey, man, Merrill's one heck of a football player. He goes – you're lucky you had him today. Okay, well, that changed Ron Earhart's view of me. Because Bill Parcells. <laughs> it was Parcells saying yeah, yeah, it was it was, it was Par, Parcells' perspective on Because to his credit, he tells me this story. That's how I know the story, because he tells me the story, right? <laughs> so when the season's over, he's like, he pulled me in, because now I'm a free agent. He's like, listen, I want you to come back, and we're going to have you and Barry. So they, so they may not even have drafted Bam Morris had this not happened. He's like, we're going to have you. We're going to get a fullback, and you two are going to be our tandem. And we're going to go at it. You can do third down still, work you back back and forth first and second down. But at that point, I was like, oh, I, don't, I don't know if I trust him. I was like, I don't. I mean, he says that. <laughs> if I come back and, and and actually San Francisco, I was actually going to sign with the 49ers. But they didn't have enough money even to run minicamp. So that was, offense would have been perfect for you. Yes, because they tried to trade for me two other times. And um, Tom Donahoe um, nixed them because I was like, Tom, I mean – Cut a deal. I mean, let me go because 
I wasn't. I didn't fit where what they were doing offensively, but I was there. I was the perfect fit, and actually, I added something to them that Marie, uh, uh, Tom Rathman was a very good, mm-hmm. very good blocker, as an okay runner and a good receiver. I'd brought. Here's what they were going to do. They were going to Ricky Waters and I just play together, and there would never be a strength or weakness to a formation based on like I wouldn't just be the fullback, and he wouldn't just be the tailback. At times we would switch, so they couldn't t- get in on our, any of our run- their running tendencies or their passing tendencies by the backfield action. Because remember back then they used right. split backs a lot, right, right. and so that was their reasoning to want to draft or trade for me, and then for me to to play there because their um, everything started with their backfield motion and action. And if they could never, if you could never tip things based on where I was lining up and he was lining up, because sometimes I'd be tailback, sometimes he'd be right, fullback. Right. Because uh, Mike Shanahan was offense coordinator at that time. Some people, how do you know that? Because when I went there as a free agent, that was their explanation. And then I went with Carmen Policy, who said the same thing. And then George Seaford, who said, who killed, brushed, he killed, he broke my heart. He's like, Merrill, if this is like the old days, he goes, I just ask you how much and you'd be a 49er. I wanted to hit my head on the thing. I was like, no. I'm like, no. I'm like, but we, we, we can't even run minicamp because we were only $200,000 under the cap. I was like, that's terrible. But And ironically, they won the Super Bowl that year. They did. That's yeah. the year they won it. And I, I went to Chicago over San Francisco because they wouldn't have been able to sign me until after the draft. And you do run a risk. Of, and they Some, actually they, drafted. They I draft mean, somebody and then they don't. They say, which oh, we which don't they need, did, know. but Mike Shanahan swears this day they wouldn't have done that had I committed to him. But I mean, you never know. I mean, I went to Chicago. I loved. I, I, I loved going there. I mean, you know, I want to stay here. Actually, what people don't know, I actually got a three-year, four million dollar deal. Okay, so my agent calls me. I'm at Washington WJ working out in the pool. I'm driving back. I was going to go to my house, so I just said, you know what? I'm the worst negotiator in the world. <laughs> this is anybody, every any player ever did this, you'd kick him right in the rear. I drive down to Three Rivers. I go in to meet with Tom Donahoe. I tell Dom Han, Tom Donahoe of my deal. I'm even willing to take $200,000 a year off, so I'm, gonna, I'm losing a million. Right off the, but I'm willing to do that because I wanted to be here. And he was just like, ah, nah, he goes, I got Barry. I got Barry. I don't need you. And I was like, I walked out three rivers. I said, well, well I'm a bear. So I, I really, I, I tried to be it. Yeah, you know, and I, yeah. listen, I'd love Tom Donald. We have all kinds of, <laughs> we have all kinds of arguments and debates. <laughs> and that was my, I was like, I just gave up a million dollars to stay here. Um, because I was playing for about 500000 at that time. And he didn't, actually, I think he wanted to cut my salary. And I was like, Tom, I'm like, Here's what I have, and I'm willing to make the day. It's like, nah. He goes, I got Barry Foster. And I was like, well, <laughs> all right. Um, I'm a bear. And as it turned out, Barry didn't play much longer. He didn't. Actually, I think they traded him that year to Carolina. It was after. Was I think he played year? one more. I think he played one two more. Year. They traded him after 94. He played, okay, okay. He played the first two okay, years. Okay, I, yeah. okay. All right. So, yeah, because yeah. I, yeah, and I know that. Well, that's just, a whole other story. He just couldn't stay healthy. and, and uh, Yeah, there was a problem. But he. Uh, I mean, I, I tried to stay here. I really, really, really did. Um, but like I said, my age, if he knew I said did that, he'd be like, hey, you've lost your mind. I'm like, That's how bad I wanted to stay here. I was like, I didn't want to go. And maybe that was the kick in the butt I needed. Just, you know, I had to go. I mean, it just, they were going a different direction. They saw things differently. And and that's what happens. It's you know, That's part of the business. And you have to understand that, accept that. And 
make decisions the best you can but around then he, that. Then he came back here and jumped in the radio booth with uh, with Cope and Hillgrove. Most people would not even know that. That, don't want to do, I'm telling you, that's the greatest <laughs> trivia question you could ever have because I probably said five words in a year and a half. <laughs> I, I had the greatest seats though, and I, and I learned from two. Of, I learned from two of the greatest. But you know, really, Mr. Rooney, you know, um, Mr. Rooney saved my. I could argue his opportunity saved me from you know my the way my career ended in the middle of the season and with with head trauma. You know, I was I was in depression. I had I mean lows. Ending the, your career in the begin at the end in the middle of the season is one of the worst things because you now you don't have like the off season to transition. You even that that time frame to kind of establish something new. It's just like over right in the middle of the season. That was so brutal. But he called me up and he was like, um, "Hey, listen, I'd like you to be a part of the broadcast booth with the Steelers." And I remember I said, um, "Oh my gosh!" I go, "Myron Cope's not going to like that." <laughs> And he said, it's not Myron's decision. I said, yeah, touche. I said, that's a good point. I get, that is a very good point, Mr. Rooney. I go, I sure, you know what, you are right. I'm like, this, he goes, this is my call. I'm like, that's the best man to have it is his call. And I'm like, I'll be there. So he, um, it, was, I mean, it was a great experience for, and I was doing college, I launched ESPN to college football. So I was doing that and the Steelers broadcast, the combination of them, and uh, WTA um, the Friday um friday lights, Light lights. Yeah. yeah 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 was doing that and anybody who worked with me in that that era is just like shaking their head right now go how he ever became broadcaster <laughs> like, we'll never know <laughs> we'll be out there doing stand-ups for 20 for 30 40 minutes like, god i just can't get this right <laughs> uh merrill appreciate the time oh, thank pleasure. you so much always fun man all right so that's merrill hodge earlier on snr with adam crowley and with dale lolly I'm guessing I'm probably not hearing my own voice yet at Geo's. I'm, I'm thinking I'm not quite there yet, but almost. I'm probably looking at the sign and about to park my car. And I think Adam might have to take the first little bit of the next segment, but it'll be him and me together, 7 to 9. This is like space balls is what this is. When did this happen? Now? Now? Yes, now. How do we miss it? We just did. That's what this whole show has been. You don't know that. We're just that good at taping and fooling you. Adam and I will actually be live moving forward until 9 o'clock. This is ESPN Pittsburgh.